Hello, I'm Jennifer Watts. I'm a friend who likes having friends. Welcome to the YouTube Me Too podcast. Here we talk about friendships, the hows and whys of connecting with others. We share a little wisdom from friends and maybe we try a friendship challenge. This episode, uh, we're going to be talking about a study that connects food with friendship and also sharing a bit from a book called Soup Night, Recipes for Creating Community Around a Pot of Soup. So I'll start by sharing from this study that was published in the Journal of Consumer Psychology, Volume 27, Issue 1, and it's called A Recipe for Friendship, Similar Food Consumption Promotes Trust and Cooperation. So what the study found was that strangers who are assigned to eat similar foods are more trusting of each other in a trust game versus strangers who are assigned to eat dissimilar foods. Another result, they found that food consumption influences conflict resolution. Strangers who are assigned to eat similar foods cooperate more in a labor negotiation and therefore earn more money than those who were strangers and ate or were assigned to eat dissimilar foods they were less likely to cooperate in labor negotiations. They also found that consumers are more trusting of information about a non-food product when the advertiser in the product testimonial eats similar food to them. Okay, that one was a little bit of a stretch for me. <laughs> and finally, they found evidence that food serves as a particularly strong cue of trust compared with other incidental similarities. For example, people perceived on the study that pairs eating similar foods, but not pairs wearing similar colored shirts, are more trusting of one another. All that to say, uh, there is scientific evidence, even just in that one study, uh, that eating the same kind of food helps us bond, or at least helps others see us as bonded, and makes us more trustworthy. I like how this study was sort of scientific proof in a little way of what we already know uh, instinctually, that when we get together and eat with people, uh, there's some sort of bonding that happens, uh, different than just sort of working alongside them uh, or spending time doing other things. But there's something about sitting around the table together or preparing food together that, yeah, helps bond us. And so I thought I'd share a couple of um, examples of groups that have used that sort of community power of food um, to make changes for the better in their lives and in their communities. So the first example is a group called Hove Luncheon Club, Hove, H-O-V-E. Uh, they're in the UK and since 2012 they have been bringing people together through food tackling social isolation and loneliness, primarily amongst older people and adults with learning disabilities. They work out of a, a Hove Methodist Church and they provide 
Friendship and low-cost meals with transportation if required for older people every Tuesday during the school term. In 2016, they expanded to run a Thursday club primarily aimed at adults with learning disabilities, offering a chance to learn cooking, uh, meet friends, and have a low-cost meal and socialize. And then, in 2018, they became a charity and merged with a local organization called Cooking and Company, and they became Food and Friendship. So as well as the lunch clubs they run, uh, they do small-scale cooking projects within the community. The cooking club aims to bring communities together in small-scale cooking projects where the meal is prepared together, skills are learned, and stories shared amongst diverse groups that don't often come together. I really like this example of how um, food is used to bring people together and how when this group started back in 2012, their goal was to tackle social isolation and loneliness uh, by using food. And now they feed people, they give people cooking skills, they provide opportunities for connecting and getting friends, having low-cost meals. Um, I, I just, I love it. I, the, the potential there is just so wide. Um, I'm going to share another one with you. I'm going to jump in here for a minute with two definitions. One is the word sommelier. Sommelier, sommelier. Uh, the person who basically um, chooses your wine at the restaurant. Um, that was my limited definition of it, but I, I did look it up <laughs> because it's in the title of what I want to tell you about. And it says it's a wine steward um, who is trained and knowledgeable and normally working in fine restaurants who specializes in all aspects of wine service as well as wine and food pairings. So this next group I'm going to tell you about, um, that's in their title. And they are called uh, Club de Sommeliers. Club de, Club de Sommeliers. Okay, I'm, I'm not French, but for short, CDS, Club de Sommeliers. So basically a take on, hey, a club of wine connoisseurs. <laughs> the second word I wanted to define was convivial. C-O-N-V-I-V-I-A-L. Convivial. Uh, I didn't know that word. And uh, it means relating to, occupied with, or fond of feasting, drinking, and good company. I believe I am convivial. So basically this Club de Sommeliers... Uh, Notice how I said that quickly and mumbled. Um, they uh, started with a group of friends who fancied themselves uh, really good at pairing wine with food. And they would get together. They would cook together and pair wine and have fun. And they decided to basically formalize this, this club. And their sort of motto is that food and friendship is the best pairing uh, the group has met uh, 25 times now, each time with a themed session um, where they cook and eat together. And they've recreated this group in a number of different countries. Um, 
yeah, you can Google it and read about it. It's, pr it's pretty neat. Started in Europe. Um, what they liked about these gatherings um, were a few things in particular. One is that they said it's convivial, the right way. Uh, I don't know what the right way means, but that was their uh, statement about it in that they would have this cooking experience and how that cooking experience would bring another dimension to the dynamic of the group that you would bond more naturally if you were having to accomplish a task together. They also liked that it was a creative experience. The cooking together is fun, it's creative, and where everybody brings something different. Um, it teaches them something about food, also culture and life, creates new relationships, and um, they don't want to stop doing it, and it keeps sort of expanding. Uh, anyway, I love both those examples of how food is bringing people together, and I know we all have, um, we've had this experience with food, with our families, with our friends, in small ways and in big ways. And um, it got me thinking about this uh, book that I had uh, recently read. And I'm just going to share a little bit about that book. The book, as I mentioned, is called Soup Night, Recipes for Creating Community Around a Pot of Soup. It's by Maggie Stuckey, S-T-U-C-K-E-Y. And what I like, different than most cookbooks, this one inspires action. Um, I have a lot of cookbooks I love, but very, very few of them talk about how you make this a bonding time over food. It's strictly about the food. And um, this one is such an exception. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, she breaks down um, soup into the seasons. like So you have fall, winter, spring, summer soups. And in between you know, three or four recipes at a time, she has a story of a soup club that exists that she knows of. And she just has a brief blurb about how it started, um, why it works for these people, whether it's a tiny group, a big group, a neighborhood, a church, um, just a few singles getting together. Um, she shares about all these different groups. And as you read through them, you get inspired and you get ideas of, oh, I could do that or I could make that group work, make that work or I want to be part of that group. Um, and then best of all, at the end, she has a whole chapter on starting your own soup night. I just thought that was fabulous. Help people do it. Like talk about it. Yes, but t help them do it. Anyway, I love that book. I highly recommend it. Um, I kind of want to do an entire podcast on how to get a soup night going. So last week we talked about um, how relationships grow closer when there's responsiveness, when there's the you too, me too factor. But it has to start with someone being just a little, just a little vulnerable. Say something just a little bit more deep than your regular conversation. Um, and that that will open up an opportunity for uh, the person you're talking to, to in turn, be just a little bit vulnerable and, and move to a new level of relationship. Um, I had asked 
that anybody that wanted to share uh, that they tried this to let me know. And um, I didn't hear from anybody this week. Maybe that was a maybe that was a hard hard thing to ask, especially in this time when everybody's just stretched a little bit more. Um, so I thought I would share a few quotes about vulnerability um, that I thought were really relevant with uh, that discussion. Um, the first one is from Amy Poehler. And vulnerability is the key to happiness. Vulnerable people are powerful people. Opening your heart and sharing it means that you're going to get so much love in your life. I like Amy. <laughs> uh, uh, and then I really liked uh, the, the message of this quote um, from a fellow named B. Tupan. He says, I rarely open up. I don't f like to feel vulnerable or to be misunderstood. But now and then I get to talking to somebody and something about them just resonates with me, whether total stranger or old friend. In their presence, I feel a certain safety, a rare calm, and everything comes gushing up. Um, and then this one from Brene Brown, who writes a lot about the power of vulnerability and... Um, I like a lot of her stuff. Uh, most people believe a vulnerability is weakness, but real vulnerability is courage. We must ask ourselves, are we willing to show up and be seen? Brene Brown. So now it's time for a friendship challenge. Okay, this week, your challenge I was going to make it, you have to make a bowl of soup and share it, but I thought, uh, that might be a lot to ask. Uh, I would like you to just take note, notice when you are sharing food with someone else and how it creates just this, this little window of bonding. Um, next time you go for coffee with a friend, bring a couple muffins to share or notice that when you're both ordering coffee at the counter and sharing it, that that you are you you are creating this little extra bond than if you weren't having food and drink together uh so try it and let me know let me know uh whether you've noticed that well that's it for episode three of season two i'd love to hear from you if you've tried any of the friendship challenges including today's if you have any questions or comments drop me a line you can find me at uh u2.me2 on instagram or you could send me an email at u2me2 at shaw, S-H-A-W, dot C-A. Uh, I would like to thank all my listeners for being curious about building relationships. We're going to change the world. Uh, and for tuning in. Thank you. Uh, let's see. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It doesn't cost anything, and it helps me get the word out about the podcast. This has been You Too, Me Too, and I'm Jennifer Watts. Thank you for being a friend. The second definition is con... Oh, dear. Just say it, Jen. <laughs>